We're grateful, Father, for what you've done in our lives. We're grateful that we, that we know about you, that you have revealed yourself to us. We're grateful for this Bible that we can trust. Uh, it's been attacked over the years, and they continue to attack it. Uh, they continue to raise questions, and it's not that we're ignorant of the questions, but as we have examined it and looked at the facts and looked at the evidence, we know that it is a sure witness it comes from you. And it, it, it is a book that is a life-changing book. It, it changes us. It tells us why we are here. It tells us what our purpose is. It tells us uh, why we go through the things that we go through. We, we, we thank you for the perspective that you give to us. We thank you that uh, the sum of it, when we add it all up, uh, as it says in Psalm 119, the sum of thy word is truth. We live in an age that doesn't value truth. We, we live in an age that says truth doesn't exist. We live in an age that says that everything is relative. But we know that's not true. And even those who say it know it isn't true. They may say it, but they don't live by it. And even as they say there is no truth, they say it absolutely. Even when they say there is no absolute truth. So I thank you for these guys that have, uh, they've got busy schedules, all of us do, and they've made it, uh, they've made time out of their busy schedule to come and be here tonight. Uh, we, we are coming from different places uh, in life. We're coming from different places circumstantially. We're all carrying burdens. We all have issues that we're facing. They're not the same issues, they're different. But we've all got stuff. So I would pray that this time tonight that, that you would make it valuable and that you would take your word and apply it to each of us. We need to hear from you. We really do. Some of us are... Uh, in a spot where we're facing a major decision and we need your wisdom and we need your guidance. I pray that your spirit would provide clarity. A lot of guys in here perhaps are waiting and they've been waiting for quite a while. I pray that you'd give them hope that you have not forgotten about them. We pray for our nation, our leaders. We're about to go through an election of choosing a leader, and all we are simply going to do, Lord, is to put in there the person you have already ordained. That's what's going to happen. So even as we have our desires and our concerns and we bring them to you, we take uh, great comfort in the fact that you are in charge. You don't always do it the way we'd like you to do it, but we rest in the fact that you are God, and you have a purpose, and you have a plan, and you're orchestrating the events of history, and it's all under control. Even when it seems to be out of control, it's in control. You're moving history right along at your pace and according to your plan. 
So encourage us tonight. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's where we're going this fall semester. Um, we're we're going to commence a study on giants. I think if you're here tonight on a Wednesday night, I'm assuming you're here because um, God has revealed himself to you through his son, Jesus, and he has brought you into relationship with him, and because of that fact, because he's given you a new heart and because he's given you a new life, and there are some guys in here, without question, who don't have that personal relationship with Christ. You haven't come to know Christ yet. Uh, It's interesting that you're here. Because what that tells me is that God is working in your life. And we, over the years, we've had a number of guys that come in here who don't know the Lord, and the Lord begins to work, and suddenly their whole lives are changed. And see, when your life is changed by Christ, here's what happens. There becomes, you develop a desire in your life when you meet the Lord, because suddenly life makes sense. And, and suddenly you are free, and you are forgiven, and you've been given a new nature, and you've been given a new heart, and you understand that the things that you used to think that were so important are not quite so as important. You've got a different perspective, and you're looking at life through a different lens now. Uh, you were blind before you came to know Christ, and now he has opened our eyes, and he's given us a new heart, and he's given us a new life. So when that happens to us, there is a desire that begins to develop into our lives and begins to grow in our lives, and the desire is this. The desire is we want God to use us. I want to be used. I want my life to count. I don't want to waste my life. I, 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 I want to contribute. I know, there's, I know you've made me for a reason. I know that you did this work in my heart for a reason. And, and, and I want to be used. I want, I, 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 there's a sense, there's a drive, there's a desire within every one of us. To be used by God. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to be used by God, there's something you need to know. If you're going to be used by God all the way through your life, you are going to be fighting the giants. There is no way to be used by God without fighting the giants. You say giants plural, giants plural. Where I want to begin, uh, and, and here's going to be the basis of our study. Uh, I, I, I want to look at uh, uh, the lives of Joshua and Caleb. And the reason I want to look at those guys is that they were two men who were distinctly used by God. Now, back when we were starting this study, we did a study of the book of Joshua. And some of you guys were here for that. I, I, that's not what I'm necessarily doing. I'm not repeating that stuff. Because there's stuff about Joshua and Caleb that happens outside of the book of Joshua. So we're going to kind of look at these guys because, you see, they experienced what we all want to experience. They were used by God. Well, we want to be used by God. Now, the starting point for this study is going to be the book of Numbers, chapter 13. If you have your Bible, that's where we're going. 
In Numbers chapter 13, most of us know this account. Most of us know this story. And you guys that are looking around, there's some seats up there, and we're going to pull more chairs. We got some over here. And are there any more chairs around here we can pull in? Yeah, just help yourself, guys. Come on in. We're glad to have you. Yeah, that's great. Um, we're going to start Numbers chapter 13 because I want to show you this because this is what we're going to work off this, the whole fall. And again, I, I want to cement this in your mind, and I'm going to repeat it throughout, the, uh, throughout this study as we go for the next eight or nine weeks, however long we're going. And that is, if you're going to use, be used by God, you're going to fight the giants. Now, in Numbers 13, here's what's going on. Uh, it's the children of Israel. They've been slaves, and they've been in uh, Egypt for 430 years. God raises up Moses. You know that whole story. God leads them out after God sends the ten plagues and finally Pharaoh lets them go. And you know that whole story. They do the Red Sea thing. God opens up the Red Sea. And they're headed to a promised land. Uh, God is going to give them a land that he had promised to their father Abraham. Now they're heading for that promised land. It's the land that we know of today of, uh, as Israel. That, that land was inhabited by a bunch of tribes, very strong tribes, uh, technologically advanced tribes. They were the Ites. You remember the Ites? You got the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. They're all in this land. So here's what happens in Numbers 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So what happens is they pick a leader from each tribe. they got 12 guys, and they go into this land that's inhabited by the Ites, and they do a reconnaissance mission. And then they come back, and they give their report. And if you'll turn to verse um, uh, 25, it says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days... They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they got this big cluster of grapes that two guys have got to carry, you know. It's, it's, it's just a marvelous land. The, the, the soil is productive. Uh, God told them, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you orchards you didn't plant. God's going to bless them beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, yeah, it's a, milk, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now look at verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And this is all true. The cities were fortified. Um, uh, Jericho was the first city that they would actually take, and you know that whole deal, you know that story. Uh, Jericho, you guys remember the first Star Wars movie? Remember that back during the Korean War when that came out? <laughs> I've kind of lost track of Star Wars. I, I saw the first two and then I lost track, and I found out the other day there's six, there's six Star Wars movies now. I, I didn't even know that. But I remember the first one. Remember the first one? I was on my honeymoon. We were in Florida and we went to see Star Wars, and so, well, I mean, we didn't have any money. That's all we could afford was going to Star Wars, and we went to McDonald's. And, but, 
You, you, remember, you remember when you saw that, that thing coming? They're sending in those, those little fighter jets. You remember those? And you look off in the distance, and you say, what is that? Look at that planet. And then it got closer, and you go, what is that thing? It's like a moon. And then it got closer, and you go, that's not a planet. That's not a moon. That's a... It was the Death Star. You remember that thing? I mean, I actually got on the Star Wars website the other day. And, you know, some guys have no life. <laughs> and, and there was this about a four-page description of the Death Star. It talked about how many, how many soldiers were on it. It talked about the square footage. It talked about... No, I'm dead serious. The square footage was on there. It talked about the different levels of supremacy and why, you know, and the, and the amount of laser beams and all this stuff. Uh, but I remember seeing that thing, and I went, when you realize what it was, you went, whoa. I mean, those, those guys are crazy. That's a suicide. There's no way you're going to penetrate that. That's the way the city of Jericho was. That's the way Jericho. These cities were fortified. Jericho... Uh, was set on about eight acres, and it had two walls. The first wall was six feet thick, and then there was uh, probably 12 to 15 feet. And then the second wall was uh, 12 feet thick. And they weren't straight up. They were sloped, and there was an abutment. And because then, see, you couldn't, you, 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 you couldn't put ladders. You couldn't burn it. You could you just, so they say the city was, the cities were fortified and very large. Oh, moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Uh, so they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There we also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, or part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. There was, there was a race of people in there who were literal giants. Now, what's interesting is you got 12 spies. Now, we know Joshua and Caleb. How many of you can name any of the other ten guys? You can't name any of them. You know why you can't name any of them? Because they were losers. <laughs> they were absolute failures. Uh, you know the other reason you can't name them? Because they weren't used by God, and the reason they weren't used by God is that they refused to fight the giants. Let me ask you something. How would you feel... There's two million men, women, and children that comprise the nation of Israel. Two million of them, and 12 guys are picked to go on that reconnaissance mission. Now, would that not be an honor to be one of the 12? I'd say it would be. One guy from each tribe. So to be the guy from your tribe that's chosen, and they were all leaders, that would be a notable honor, that would be a notable accomplishment, that would be a notable achievement. And I'm sure... Those guys were gratified and, you know, it's not bad. Um, would you not agree that to be one of the 12 would be notable? Let me ask you a question. Uh, 
the word notable. How do you spell notable? N-O-T-A-B-L-E. Ten of these guys were notable for uttering the words in verse 31, we are not able. Now, the two words not able are spelled N-O-T-A-B-L-E. The only difference is between not able and notable is that there is a space between the T and the A. So what made 10 of these guys notable is that they said, we're not able. We're not able to do what? We're not able to take the giants. Um, these guys were literal giants. The, the word that's translated here, uh, great size, uh, the, the Anakim, it means long-necked. They, these guys were so big, they were so tall, they call them long-necked. But Joshua and Caleb were notable because they said, look it, guys, God will fight for us. God, we've just come through the Red Sea. If God could get us through the Red Sea, if God could destroy Pharaoh's army, if God could do the ten plagues and we're facing these giants, what do you mean God is not able? I think the, the Christian life is a series of facing giants. In the Christian life, there are giant, uh, there are giant diseases if you're a Christian, you're not exempt from disease. Um, in the Christian life, there are giant um, financial setbacks sometimes. In the Christian life, there are giant family breakdowns. Sometimes in the Christian life, there, there, are, there are giant marital issues that it seems like you cannot resolve. In the Christian life, there are sometimes there are giant betrayals. In the Christian life, sometimes there are uh, giant career setbacks. Uh, you, you, they, they list into the hundreds. And all of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, there are giant addictions, chemical addictions. There are sexual addictions. There are porno pornography addictions. There are giants, and the guy sitting here is dealing with a giant, but his giant is different from the guy sitting here. And this guy over here has a giant, but it's different than these two guys. But the Christian life is dealing with the giants. And the thing about these giants is simply this. See, when you encounter a giant, and this is what happened to the ten guys here, when you encounter a giant, there are two things that happen. It's what I call natural giant reflux. <laughs> and many of us are familiar with that term as we get older in life. I didn't used to know what that term meant. I know what it means now, you see. And some of you, even as we're doing this Bible study, are, are spitting up and drooling. And we understand because we know where you are and what you're dealing with. Um, you young guys don't get that, but one day you will. You'll get it. You can eat anything now, but your day's coming. Um, you can sense the bitterness, can't you? I'm still a little bit upset about that. When you encounter a giant, I mean a real giant, there are two things that happen. Number one, you get intimidated. That's what giants do. They absolutely intimidate you. And secondly, there's something else. Uh, you're aware of your own inadequacy. When I was in seventh grade, we moved from Bakersfield, California, which is in the San Joaquin Valley, 
And Bakersfield is sort of like living in Midland, Odessa. And I'm not exaggerating. That's Bakersfield. There's football, there's agriculture, there's oil, and there's football. And that's pretty much it. Um, and culturally, it's different than the rest of California. In seventh grade, my dad took a job in San Francisco, and we moved up to a suburb right next to San Francisco called Daly City. And I'm thrown into a school, and it was a complete cultural shift for me, and I hated it. And the very first day I was there, uh, I'm in seventh grade, I'm about five, six, and there's a kid named Harold Fast who was a monster. And he didn't like me from day one. And this, and this guy started giving me a hard time. And, you know, and usually, you know, you, you know usually you, you deal with it. But this guy was so big. Uh, turn over to 2 Samuel 21. You know, we all know about David and Goliath. But in 2 Samuel 21, it says this, Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him, and as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. He was just getting tired of the battle. Then Ishbi Benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. Here comes now, now, David took Goliath, but here comes another giant that's going to kill David. You guys ever seen this before? Very interesting. David just didn't deal with one giant. They're, they're, they're starting to line up in this passage. You'll see in a minute. Ishbi Benob. He intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him. Don't you love these names? And by the way, how do you know I'm pronouncing them correctly? I went to seminary, but in seminary, they don't know how to pronounce them. So what you do is you just say them and act like you know how they're pronounced, but nobody has a clue. Anyway, I'm just sharing that with you. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. So one of David's guys steps in because David's weary and he kills this giant. So you see, Abishai is notable because he fought the giant. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. They didn't want the king killed. Now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sivakai the Hushathite. I've never, I didn't know there were Hushathites, but there were. Uh, Sivakai the Hushathite struck down Saif, who was among the descendants of the giant. So here's another giant. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jare-Oregum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite. There's a third giant, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also had been born to the giant. Isn't that, I mean... It, now, why am I telling you about this? Well, when I'm in seventh grade, I show up in this, in this school, and there's this guy. This guy was, this Harold Fast, this sucker was big. He was 6'3". And when he walked, his knuckles were on the ground. <laughs> this sucker was not only big. This sucker was, he was nasty. He was mean. 
uh, six fingers on each hand, and and this sucker got on my case. And you know, normally, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you just handle it. But I'm going to tell you something. I knew I couldn't take this guy. There was no way I could take this guy. I was intimidated, and and I didn't have any size then. I mean, I, and I just was wearing my own athlete. And this guy began to ride me and ride me and ride me, and. I mean, it got bad. And I remember it got so bad at one point, I was telling my, I, I just, I told my dad about it. And my dad said, you know, Steve? He said, you can take this guy. <laughs> I said, Dad, Dad, look at it, I'm telling you. There's no way I can take this guy. He said, you can take him. And, and well, I had to go to school the next day, and my dad, my dad was always up early, and I got up, and he said, you know, Steve, you need to take that guy today. Because, <laughs> you know, what? this guy was, I mean, he was terrorizing me. He was terrorizing, and my dad knew it had to come to an end. And he said, you, he said, Steve, you can take this guy, and he told me what to do. He told me how to take him. And then he prayed with me. You, now, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think that's a great dad. Because, you know, a lot of dads today, you know, we're so feminized in the church today. I, I'm glad my dad, because uh, my, da hey, my dad knew I was going to face a lot bigger giants than this kid. And you can't live in fear and you can't let them terrorize you. There are going to be a lot bigger giants who are going to come in my life. So, so what do men do? Well, the very fact that you're a man means that you have to suppress your fear and control your fear and step up and take on what you don't want to take on. You can't get intimidated and you can't... Are you inadequate? And may you, and you might get hurt. Yes, you might get hurt. But you know what? It's better to get the crud kicked out of you than to live in terror. you got to step up. So my dad told me how to handle this guy. He told me what to do and then he prays with me. I remember going on that school bus. I, 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 I can remember it, right? I, can remember, I had that feeling on my back that I had when I was on that bus. I mean, it was over. I mean, it was, it was over. And second period was, was physical education, P.E. They used to have this course called physical education. <laughs> so kids wouldn't weigh 800 pounds when they're four years old. But they had this course P.E. And... Uh, and so they lined us up. Everybody had a number. Well, I'm Farrar. This guy's fast, so he's right next to me. And I'm so hyped up. I'm so amped up going to that class because I knew I had to, this was it. And my dad told me, he said, the first time he says a word, here's what you do. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just amped. <laughs> I'm on my number, and I mean, I can, I mean I'm just amped. And here comes Harold, and he walks by, and he says something to me, and he called me a name, and he's just meandering, and, 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 and he triggered it. He called, and I said, Harold! And he turned and looked at me, and I just came up. And, just, and, and so you don't come up there and stuff. You come up and through. Okay. <laughs> you follow through. You follow through. That's what my dad said. You don't come up there. You all the way through with everything you got. And I cold cocked that sucker. 
And he was down, and I was so amped up, he was down. I grabbed him, put him in a headlock, and there was a basketball pole there, and I rammed his head into the pole. No, this is true. I took his sword, I cut off his head. I was all over that kid, because I knew if he got up, I was dead. And then the coach was down on the other end taking attendance. Coach Salmon, I never forget that guy. He, he looked at me and he goes, you animals! He always called us animals. That's what I remember about this guy. He says, you animals! Knock it off! And so Harold, you know, kind of gets back, and I'm still amped. I'm just amped, because I'm waiting for him to... And then we did our stuff, and we got in the locker room. I thought, this sucker's going to get me in the locker room. And I'm, I'm amped. I'm ready. And he, came, and he walked right up to me, and he goes... Hey, Steve, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I said, let me tell you something. You bother me again, I'm going to kick your butt all over this school. You understand that? You want to go now? You want to go now? No, I, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson. You can't run from the giants. You've got to face them you got to face them. Now, that's a funny story, but we got guys in here that are dealing with giants that are intimidating you to death because of the potential they have to destroy your life. Are there giants in the Christian life? Yeah, there's a bunch of them. You know, guys... Um, there's a reason this stuff is in the Bible. There's a reason this stuff is recorded for us. And I think, I, I think the book of Joshua is, and the story of Joshua, and the story of Caleb, I, I think it's so central. It's one of the central books in the Old Testament because it, it really lays out a picture of what the Christian life is like. Um, you know, in the Christian, see, see, when you face a giant, here's Joshua and Caleb, and then there's the ten guys, and, and they're going up against these ites. Are these people powerful? Yes. Are they technologically advanced? Yes. Do they have iron chariots? Yes. Does Israel have that? No. In fact, God said you can't even have chariots. God said you can't have, multiply horses, you can't multiply chariots. Why? Because God didn't want them trusting in chariots, and God didn't want them doing it as the other nations did it. God wanted them to trust in Him alone. So, see, God will not give you a level playing field. Well, you know, my friends aren't dealing with this, and my friends can do this, and, but, but see, I don't, I, they've got chariots, yeah, but you can't have a chariot, because you're going to trust in me. God will strip away at times the things that most humans have and rely on. He'll just strip them away from you. Why? Because he wants you to know that he is all you need. And I don't want to find that out. I don't want to be there. But that's walking by faith. When you face a giant, why do you get intimidated? Because if God doesn't come through for me, I'm finished. I'm done. It's over. It's history. You know, the Christian life, we go from faith to faith. You know another way you could say that in the Christian life? You go from giant to giant. Sometimes it's a giant of cancer. Sometimes it's a giant of Lou Gehrig's disease. Sometimes it's a giant of, 
of a wife that meets some yo-yo on the internet and loses her mind and leaves you. I, I, all that stuff's in here. You took a drink in high school and you've been hooked ever since. And the other guys were with you and they took a drink and they can handle it. You can't handle it. It's a giant and it'll be a giant as long as you live in your life. How will you ever conquer it? You face it every day when you get up. If God doesn't... And see, even the pagans know you can't do it without a higher power. Well, the higher power is God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. The higher power is Jesus Christ. He's the higher power. He's the only power. He spoke the worlds into existence. So therefore, whatever giant you're facing, and see, this was the nonsense. You got Joshua and Caleb and you got the ten spies. What did ten spies say? We're not able. What are you guys, idiots? Yeah, they were. They're absolute card-carrying idiots. By the way, how did you get here? How did you get here to this place? You're camped here. You're getting ready to go in the problem. How did you get here? Oh, we came through the Red Sea. Well, how the heck did you get through the Red Sea? Idiot. You had a giant sea. You had a giant army. You had mountains on both sides. How did you get through that? Well, God got us through. Well, God got you through that. Can God not take the giants? See, you gotta think. You gotta think when you encounter a giant. Why are we studying this book? Uh, 25 years ago, I was at a conference in California, and there was a guy from Dallas that was teaching the conference. And just as an aside, he says, you know, I live in Dallas. And he said, let me tell you about Dallas, Texas. He said, there are more churches in Dallas than any other place that I know in the United States. And he says, I'll tell you something else about Dallas. There are more Bible studies per square inch in Dallas, Texas, than anywhere else on the face of the earth. And you know what? I think he's right. A lot of you guys, this is not the only Bible study you go to. Whenever I go out to breakfast, if I go to the corner bakery, I was at the corner bakery the other day. I walk in there. And you know what I see? There's a guy over there, got his Bible. There's a guy over there with his Bible. There are three guys over there. They all got Bibles open. There's a... You don't see that in California. You don't see that in New Jersey. <laughs> but in Texas, is this not true? Don't you walk in? You see people in breakfast, they got their Bible open? Yeah. It's a good thing to study the Bible. But guys, here's the deal. Why do we study the Bible? The whole point, look at you study the Bible because you live off the Bible. See, so many of us have faith. I always love these elections. You know, they talk, these, these different people talk, well, well I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. Faith in what? What do you mean, faith? Faith has got to have an object. So you're, you're people of faith. That, that's, that's nonsense to me. You mean you have faith in Jesus Christ? Is that what you mean, yo-yo? What are we talking about here? 
Huh? Somebody help me here. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, say it. Declare yourself. You see? But you know, there's all, oh yeah, I'm a person of faith. Yeah, right. You know what I'm talking about? Does it ever bug you guys? What are you, on Valium? What's wrong with you guys here tonight? <laughs> okay, so we're people of faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in God and in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and in this book. We believe in this book. Okay, here's the deal. When you hit the giants, you know what you got to do? You got to take your Bible study stuff and your Bible study notes, and here's what you do. You apply your faith to the situation. You apply it. It's just not in your head. See, see, when you encounter a giant, what do you have to do? When you encounter a giant, you have to think. You have to think. Think what? You have to think about what this says and about what, what is true. You have to think about who your father is. You know what's interesting right now, what's going on in our nation? There are all kinds of giants. Uh, we're facing an economic giant. Or maybe you're not aware of this. Although I should tell you, they, um, they did a big loan to AIG, and so everything's fine. <laughs> no, this, this, this ended it. This brought it to a halt. So it's over. We're good. We're fine. I hope you know that. I hope you're at rest in your spirit. It's over. It's done with. Now, see, we know it isn't. Because, see, Monday, they said they were done doing those things. But then Tuesday night, I got in the end, and go, oh, oh, really? Well, they're not done. And, see, we know when we get up in the morning. In fact, I checked, I checked the website before I came over here today because, see, this is it. And then I read that Washington Mutual is in trouble. And then I read that, um, uh, is it Morgan Stanley? They're talking with, you know, Ho Chi Minh or somebody in China, you know, and they're going to, because see, this, hey, this, we, we got some trouble going on here. We got some major league trouble going on right here. And it's, I, I, I copied off some headlines from yesterday. Um, I just made some copies. Uh, all eyes on Wall Street. Lehman goes bust. Biggest bankruptcy ever. Feds balk at putting up taxpayer money. Um, EU, uh, EU uh, stock plunge. Um, Greenspan says, USA in once-in-a-century financial crisis. Um, exec sees a thousand bank failures this year in the States. Uh, I, was, I got an article here I read this morning. It's very interesting because it's, it's, it's all over the world. Uh, in London, there's a real nice area called Canary Wharf, real nice office area, you know, high rises. And I was reading uh, that um, they, they, they have this tower that's just about to be completed, and they leased out all 30 floors. Uh, no, they leased out all 12 floors to Bear Stearns. Uh, but then next to it, they have a 30-story uh, tower that's going in, and they lease that out to Lehman Brothers. Oh, yeah, it's in here. I don't know where it is. 
And the guy said that they were interviewing the guy. And uh, he said the Bear Stearns was uh, that was a real hit. But the um, the 30 stories for Lehman Brothers and they interviewed the guy like on Monday. The, the 30 story one for Lehman Brothers is, is a real hit. And but fortunately, we took out insurance with AIG. <laughs> I got it in here somewhere. It's a true story. It's in the Wall Street Journal. You can look it up. It's funny if it wasn't so sad. Well, we're facing an economic giant right now, and it's big. And you know as well as I do that tomorrow when you check the news, there's going to be something else. Because, see, they don't know what the heck's going on. They don't have a clue. This is bigger than anything they've ever seen. And when these companies don't even know how much, they don't even know the numbers. Hey, when they had the SNL crisis, at least they knew the numbers. They don't have a clue. Now, do you think that might affect you or you or you or me at some point? Uh, Let's talk about this because we're all thinking about it. There could be some very, very serious implications to a lot of us in this room. It's somewhat frightening. Um, Bob Morgan, I saw Bob Morgan at Barnes & Noble right around Memorial Day. And uh, over to my side of town, and he's not normally over there, but one of his kids had a soccer game, and they were waiting for the next game. And I'm in Barnes and Noble. I said, "Bye, hey, how you doing?" And about ten minutes later, he walked up to me and he, and he said, uh, "He said, have you ever seen this book?" And I said, "No. What is it? It's called The Prize. It's about this thick." He said, "This is a great book." I said, "Really?" He said, "I'm going to buy it for you." I said, "Okay." And I read it, and I read it so much that the pages fell out of the binding. And the book, The Prize, is a book about the history of the oil industry. You know, it's pretty young, actually. Going back to when they found it in Pennsylvania and, you know, that whole deal. Fascinating book. It's an amazing book. And the guy's a great writer, has great story, a, a wonderful read. Uh, one of the points he makes in there is that oil is to our economy what blood is to your body. We are completely dependent on oil. I look at uh, Joshua and uh, Caleb, and you know what? Those guys, you know what their background was? They were slaves. They were slaves. They were slaves. Their fathers were slaves. Their fathers were slaves. Their fathers were slaves. Their fa they were in Egypt for 430 years. A history of slavery. Uh, that's where these guys came from. And, you know, you say, well, that's interesting, you know. Yeah, but, you know, that doesn't really relate to me. I think it does relate to you. You know why I think it relates to you? Because you're a slave. And I'm a slave. We are economic slaves. And if you don't believe that, you just remember it the next time you go to fill up your car. Uh, good old Boone Pickens, the theologian, you remember him? <laughs> Actually, he doesn't have a degree in theology, he has a degree in geology. And I've been reading his book, it's a good read, it's funny. Um, 
But you've seen Pickens doing his commercial thing, and, and you know, he just states a couple facts. And one of the facts is, in 1973, America imported 24% of its oil. You know how much oil we import now? 70. Almost 75%. Where are we getting this oil? From nations and countries who are against us, who hate us, who despise us, who want to bring us down, who are working against us, and they control it all. And there's not a cotton-picking thing we can do. And see, we're, we're, we're kind of relaxed now because it's not four bucks a gallon, it's gone down, and oil's now under a hundred bucks. But you know the first time oil ever hit a hundred bucks was last February. Everybody was kind of freaked out. And now we're kind of breathing because, oh, it's down to just under a hundred. So what are you going to do? It was 140. And you know what's great? It's down under 100. And you know, what, you know what's neat, guys? It's going to stay there. <laughs> no, that really, that helps me. Doesn't that help you? The crisis is over and the crisis is past. We're not going to see that again, are we? Oh, you know we're going to see it again. Do, do you think oil will ever hit 140 again? You know it will. Thanks, Lou. Do you ever think it'll, do you think it'll ever hit 200? Sure it will. You think it might hit 250? Mm-hmm. And so then what does that mean? Well, that means it's not going to be four bucks a gallon. It means it's going to be eight bucks a gallon. And is that going to make a difference? And, mm-hmm. and there's not a thing we can do about it. Not a thing. It's completely out. And even if we decided right now to do something about it, you know how long it would take, which, of course, is a good reason not to do anything. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll leave that alone. But you, you see my point? We're slaves. We're slaves. We're like, you see, when Moses showed up to deliver the people, Pharaoh got ticked off, and he said, you know what? I don't like this, so now, hey, those bricks I'd supply you with, now you make the bricks. See, we're carrying a load. Now we're having to make our own bricks. See, we're, we're so loaded down, and we got a little breathing room now, but we know it's going back. We're absolute slaves. When you are an economic slave, and I hope you're enjoying this tonight. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. <laughs> and, and by the way, all this money that we're... The government is now, where is that coming from? Well, they have this thing called printing presses. That's where it's coming from. And I was reading a deal the other night, and this guy was saying, well, you know what the real key is in all this? The real key, and this goes back to the Depression year, the real key is that people not lose confidence. Well, let me tell you something. The only way you don't lose confidence is if you're an idiot. I was watching a deal last night. For, forget the bailouts. Forget, for, forget all that. Let's just, just, just Social Security. Let's just talk about Social Security here for a minute. Okay? Once again, I want to encourage you tonight. <laughs> this, was, this was in the budget of 2003 but they managed to put it back on page 19,412 in an appendix. 
And a guy pulled it out last night. Glenn Beck pulled it out last night. And just Social Security, to fix it in 2003, just to fix it, and to get it back where it needs to be, would require a tax increase. This is nothing else. This isn't anything else. This isn't anything else in the budget or defense. This isn't just to fix Social Security. Would, would involve, they would need an immediate tax hike of 69%. And Paulson, the guy that's, you know, doing these weekend deals and saving everything, and he's got four guys he's working with, I mean, he's doing the best he can do, I and mean, God bless him. I'm glad I'm not in his position. You know what he said in April? He said, there is not the revenue... There is not the revenue to take care of Social Security and Medicare. It's not there. And what are we doing? Billion, 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 85, 90. We're economic slaves. You worried about your kid's life? You ought to be. How about your grandkids? You ought to be. When you're an economic slave, when Joshua and Caleb were slaves... See, there are four giants you face when you're a slave. i got to watch my clock here. And we're facing these giants. Let me give them to you. Number one. Boy, I hope I wrote them down. I did. When, when you're an economic slave, there are four giants that you encounter. Number one is a life of little or no results. Let me tell you something. You might have results now. You might be an okay. But let me tell you something. You let oil get to 200, and let me tell you something. You're going to have not a whole lot of results in your life. It's going to affect... Hey, never in my life have I thought about driving from my house to downtown Dallas. Never crossed it. What do you mean to go? Let's go. Why was I thinking about that all, all summer? You know, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I want to get in that Suburban and go to Dallas. No, I don't think I will. Why? Because it was insane. So you face the giant of little or no results. Here's number two. You face this, a, a giant which is a scenario of unfulfilled dreams. You know what's been great about America? God's blessed this country. And the great thing about America, because of our system, because of the way we've done everything here, the great thing about America is, is that we had the hope for our children that they could be better off than we were. Hey, God blessed us, and we were better off than our folks, and they were better off than their folks. See, it's always been that way, but you know what? Now we're economic slaves. I, I, I'm just giving you reality here, guys. Number three, we're facing the giant of a daily experience of physical and emotional exhaustion. Because when you're a slave, it's the most exhausting kind of work in the world. And let me tell you something, we're slaves. It's out of our control. They turn the spigot on and they turn it off. You say, yeah, but we got all this oil. Yeah, I know. I know. But we got all these reprobates who hate God and hate his word. That's what it is. You know what God said in Genesis? He said, I made man in my image. And because we're made in the image of God, we're more important than animals. We're more important than seals. We're more important than whales. We're more important than flipper. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, look at the birds of the field. You know, your father feeds them. Are you not more important than 
They? And we had a whole bunch of people in this country who say, well, no, we're not. We're equal. You're an idiot. <laughs> what do you mean equal? We're made the image. That's an animal. Now, do we treat them and take care of them? Sure we do. But they're animals. God gave, and let me tell you something else. God gave us dominion over the earth. This is all, hey, let me tell you something. All this stuff is theological. This is not political stuff. This is theology. I'm reading uh, Pickens' book. And he's talking about his wife and, you know, all this Katrina stuff. And then his wife saw something about the pets that were being left behind and that were drowning. And they went down and they got involved and they chartered a plane and brought back 200 pets. Well, okay. And then someone told her about horses being slaughtered. I got one more. Did I do three? Yeah. Here's number four. Uh, when you're an economic slave, you fa you're facing uh, uh, the giant of a future with little or no prospects. Now, it's never been that way in this country before. But guys, this is reality, and this is where we are. It's just the fact of the matter. Uh, let me wrap this up. Boy, this has been a positive evening, hasn't it? <laughs> You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? I think it's verse 25. Jesus said this. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. That's what he said. So what do I do? I worry about my life. Well, what, what, what if that happened? And, 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 here's the thing. As believers, you know what we do? We face reality. We look at reality right smack in the chops. You know what Peter Drucker said? Peter Drucker said, when the facts are clear, the decision jumps out at you. We, hey, we can act like it's 50 years ago, but it's not 50 years ago. We're right here and we're facing all this stuff. So what do we do? Do we freak out? Do we panic? This is a giant. What do we do? Are we intimidated? No. You know what we do? Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Does God know all about this? Hey, guys, let me tell you something. He's orchestrated it. Joseph said to Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of economic prosperity, and there's going to be seven years of famine. Give or take. He didn't say that. Seven years. Why? Because God orchestrates everything. 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 You know, it's, you know, it's really interesting. We're, we're facing a crisis that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. You know, it's very interesting to me is how many churches, you know, they used to build churches with cornerstones. I remember the church I was raised in. They, 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 right, there was a little cornerstone and it had the name of the church and it had the date it was built, which was 1931. You know, it's interesting when you go back and you look at what was happening in America during the Depression. There wasn't a lot of building, except they were, you know, federal government got in Roosevelt, and they started doing all these, you know, public works. Other than that, there wasn't any building. You know, you know what they were building? They were building churches. You know why they were building churches? You see, the Roaring Twenties was a time of unparalleled prosperity in this country. And it was also a time of unparalleled immorality until we got to the 60s. That's a historical fact. The illegitimacy rates went shot through the roof in the 20s. You know why? Because farm kids stayed on the farm every night. But suddenly, Dad had a Model A, 
and Junior would go pick up Sally, and they'd go to a drive-in movie. And they had no idea what was playing on that screen. <laughs> and suddenly, the controls were gone. And there was money, and there was prosperity, and there was immorality. It was the roaring 20s. And then what happened? I have a book in my library, and it's called, the title of the book is, We Had Everything But Money. And it's a story of people who grew up during the Depression. And their fond memories of what life was like during the Depression. They had everything. They, families were close. They got together. They, they had everything. Oh, they didn't have any money, but they had everything else. They look back with fond, fond, boy, man, gosh. And you know, it's interesting. The bottom dropped out economically, and so the only people that are building are churches. Why are they building churches? We've got to build more churches. Why? Because people need Christ. Their knees were shaking. You jump out of a building or your knees are shaking and, dear God, how am I going to make it? How am I going to feed these kids? See, now they're calling on his name instead of blaspheming his name. So what does Jesus say to the remnant, to those of us annoying? He says, hey, guys, hey, hey, don't worry about your life. He's talking about food and clothing and shelter. Don't worry about your iris. You say, what if it all goes? Well, it all goes. Just face that. Just stop and think. What happened if it, what happened if it all goes? Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Now, I'm not saying it's all going. I'm just saying, don't worry about you. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. So what do we do? We wor worry is a force. Worry is in it. It, it can consume you, can't it? And Jesus, three times in that passage, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your, don't worry, don't worry, don't be anxious. For your Father knows that you need all these things. So seek ye, what? First. The kingdom of God and his what? And all these things will be added unto you. Now, you know what you do? You face an incoming giant and all this stuff. And what if that goes out? Okay. You know what you do? You take your faith and you take the word of God and you apply it. You apply it. You look right in the, the square eye of that giant and say, you know, Lord Jesus, I refuse to worry. I refuse. Because I believe you and I believe your promises. Let me show you something. And I'm done and I'm already done. Lou, I know that. Let me show you something at the end of Joshua. I can find it. You see, this book is, is God's book. It's his revelation. It tells us about his character. It tells us who he is. And in this book, God makes promises to us. Let me see if I can find this real quick. I want you to see this and the importance of thinking and applying our faith when we encounter these giants. Saying, what if this happens? What if this happens? Um, uh, Joshua 21, verse 45. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. That's a remarkable statement. Did God make promises to Israel? Yeah. Did ever, any promise? Did one ever fail? No, never. He never failed in a promise. So then what are we worried about? Somebody help me here. What are we worried about? Uh, uh, Joshua 23, verse 14. Joshua says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. You, you know what the world needs to see? 
hey, these are uncertain times and people are concerned and worried. And you see the pictures and those traders on the street, they're going like this and they're just... You know what the world needs to see? They need to see some guys who are calm and steady and, and, uh, and joyful and um, not freaked out. That's what they need to see. You don't need to preach to them. You don't need to hand them a tract. You know what you need to do? You just need to walk in the confidence of God and his promises that he will make a way for you. And you know what that does? When people see somebody like that, you know what? It makes an impression. What's with that guy? What's with that guy? And what is with you? Well, Jesus is with me. And his word is with me. And I don't have to fear. Because whatever giant I'm making, whatever giant I'm facing, I'm not running. I'm facing it. Because he'll give the victory. I got to think and I got to apply it. That makes sense? It makes all kinds of sense. So let's be encouraged. All right? Thank you, Father, for the power of your word. We're not doomsayers. We don't know what's going to happen. We may get through this and then, you know, it's, it's whatever. But Lord, we're just simply saying if the worst happens, we're, going to be, we're, we're okay. We're fine. Hey, we, we, some of us, our parents went through the Depression. And they made it. And you took care of them. And, and people came to Christ because they lost everything that they were trusting in. They lost their idols. And they had nothing left except to turn to you. We're so grateful we know you. Help us to take your word and help us, Lord, help it, help, use it to calm us. To calm us down. To trust. To trust. To say, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. You know, my, you know how much I owe. You know my mortgage. You know, you know all about it. Help us to apply our faith and increase our faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.